This is Tailgate Till May, part of the Believe Podcast Network. If you love college sports and you like to have a little action on the games, then this is the place for you because I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things too. Before we get into today's show, a reminder, as always, that you can find me across social media platforms, all at the same handle, at Gorg on Sports. I post every single pick I make on Twitter at Gorg on Sports. So make sure you follow me there because I'll be picking some Saturday college basketball games today. But I typically add more on Saturday morning and sometimes throughout the day. So make sure to follow me there for the latest information for all of my latest picks if you want to follow me or if you want to fade me. And recently, Fading me has been the play because I've been a little bit cold, just a little bit cold there. I think I went through a stretch where I lost five games in a row, uh, bounced back a bit on Wednesday night, went two and one on the night to kind of get back on track. I'm trying to bring up how many. Yeah, it was so a tough stretch midweek, Tuesday and uh, or Monday and Tuesday, lost a couple bets on Baylor TCU on Monday night. Then I lost three more on Tuesday night between Kansas BYU and Mississippi State Kentucky. I had Mississippi State minus three and a half and the under. So I was going through a tough little stretch there, 0-5 on Tuesday and Wednesday, but got back on track on Wednesday. Now sitting at down seven units, 7.04 units on the college basketball season. Not what we like to see but I am working to get on the right side of the bubble as we approach Selection Sunday. So without further ado, let's get right into a big weekend of college hoops. Let's preview this thing because it is now March. Every game matters. We are just two, let's see, what are we? Yeah, two weeks, two and a couple days in change, two weeks and a couple days From Selection Sunday, Selection Sunday, March 17th, we have basically one full week left of the college basketball regular season, and there is still a lot to be decided. There are conference titles to be decided. There is seeding to be decided. There are who's in, who's out decisions that we're going to find out about. So there's a lot to play for left in this college basketball season. And there are a couple really big games on Saturday, some top 25 matchups, some top 15 matchups that I want to get into because there's three that are really standing out to me. And the first is at 1 PM in the big 12, number seven, Kansas goes on the road to Waco to foster pavilion to take on the number 15 Baylor bears, Baylor, a four and a half point favorite in this game. And I talked earlier in the week about how I felt like Houston is the team clearly at the top of that league, the best league in the country. And then Iowa state Baylor and Kansas are right there in that next tier. I think all three of those teams in tier two, there will be either two, three or four seeds in the NCAA tournament. And for Kansas, it looks like they could be getting Kevin McCullough back, who has missed a couple games. Bill Self uh, did not speak very optimistically about McCullough's status earlier this week, talking about, you know, we just hope that we have him back at some point this year. Well, uh, on Thursday, 
himself spoke to the media and he sounded a little bit more optimistic. He said that he's doing better. He said he didn't know when he would play next, but there's a chance he could return for the Baylor game if he would practice at full speed on Thursday and on Friday. So we will see. It looks like there's at least a chance McCuller can play, and it sounds a little more optimistic than it did earlier this week when Self was talking about just hoping to have him back at some point during the season. And this is a pretty big one from a seeding perspective for both of these teams, both when it comes to seeding in the Big 12 tournament and when it comes to seeding in the NCAA tournament. Both are sitting at 9-6 and six in the Big 12 right now, tied for third in the conference. So uh, you got Big 12 seeding, tournament implications there as far as who's going to get the three seed, who's going to get the four seed in that tournament, and avoid Houston in the semifinal round. From an NCAA tournament perspective, you have a, Q, a quad one win on the line for both squads. Baylor projected as a three seed right now. Kansas be kind of on that 2-3 cut line on bracket matrix. Kansas's average seed is 2.17. Baylor's is 3.3. So Kansas kind of on the 2-3 cut line. Baylor on the 3-4 cut line. I've said it a million times, but staying on that three line, I think is going to be critical because to me, there's a pretty big difference between playing, let's say, UConn in the first round, uh, or sorry, in the Sweet 16, if you're a four seed, you're in that 4-1 game, or playing maybe a team like North Carolina, Tennessee, Arizona as a two seed. It also matters a lot, you know, in that second round game, do you want to be in a 4-5 matchup, or do you want to be in a 3-6 matchup? I'll take 3-6 every day of the week because those four or five games are absolutely brutal. So I think it's important for Baylor. I think it's important for both these teams as far as making that case for, you know, a two seed, a three seed. So got something at stake. Another interesting factor about this game is I think there is a rivalry aspect to it. Traditionally, you don't think Kansas-Baylor when you think of the great college basketball rivalries. But over the last five years or so, these are two of the most consistent, nationally prominent programs in the entire country, and they also happen to play in the same conference. Baylor wins a national title in 2021. Kansas wins a national title in 2022. And these have been the two teams at the top of the best conference in college basketball. So I think there is a budding rivalry there. You have two very good coaches in Scott Drew and Bill Self, and I think there is a little bit of a rivalry factor there. Nobody's going to confuse this with Duke Carolina or anything like that, but there is a new age rivalry, I think, budding between these two programs, between Kansas and Baylor, just because of how good they have been. And sometimes those rivalries are, are even more interesting than the legacy rivalry because they mean something extra when there are titles on the line, conference titles, national titles, seeding. So I think that's a, a, a factor in this game that maybe a lot of people don't quite realize is that when you have two teams that have been at the top of a conference like Baylor and Kansas have been, you're going to start to develop a little bit of a rivalry there. You know, that is one thing that as good as the Big 12 has been, it's lacking a ton of traditional rivalries 
in the college basketball world. And this is one that I think could continue to develop into a really good one as long as these two programs stay at the top of their game. So you have that factor going into this one. As far as the actual game itself, the matchup that I'm interested in watching is Hunter Dickinson and Eve Misi, the big freshman at Baylor, the seven-footer. These two teams played earlier in the season. Kansas came away with the win at home. It was a, a low-scoring affair, 64-61. But Eve Misi and Jacoby Walter are the two players that really stand out to me when I watch Baylor. Their skill set, their athleticism just really jumps off the screen at you. And I've tr- probably talked about Walter a little bit more, but Misi is really fun to watch, really talented as well. In that loss in at Allen Fieldhouse, Misi put up 21 points, eight rebounds in that game. Uh, Hunter Dickinson got in a little bit of foul trouble in that one, had four fouls. He put up 15 points and seven boards in that game. So I think that's a really good matchup of big men. Ultimately, I am going to bet Baylor minus four and a half in this game just because of how different I think Kansas is at home and on the road. I mean, the splits tell it all. When you look at the Jayhawks at home, they are a completely different team. Uh, That's why I bet them against BYU earlier this week. It didn't work out very well. That was their first home loss of the season. But when you look at their, their numbers at home, They have the number 15 offense in the country uh, by adjusted efficiency. They shoot just over 38% from three. But when you look at their road numbers, the offense struggles significantly. It drops to number 71 nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're shooting just 30.3% from beyond the arc on the road. And they've lost some really questionable games on the road this season. They've lost at UCF to West Virginia to Kansas State. Those are not good losses. So I'm going to roll with Baylor in this one because of Kansas's home road splits. I like the way that Baylor played a week ago against Houston. And then I like the way that Baylor was able to respond uh, after losing that game They came up with a big win on the road at TCU. That really impressed me on Big Monday. I lost a bet there as well. So give me uh, Baylor at home against Kansas in this one. And uh, I think that would put Baylor in a very good position to make sure they stay on either that two line or that three line come selection Sunday. The next big game of the day is Marquette, number five Marquette going to Omaha to take on number 12, Creighton. And the big story in this one is that Tyler Kolick, Marquette's all-everything guard, uh, we're not sure what his status is for this game because he tweaked an oblique earlier in the week, and we are not sure what his status is going to be for this game. And it's a shame because Marquette has been on an absolute roll. Since losing to UConn on February 17th, they have beaten DePaul 105-71, Xavier 88-64, and Providence 91-69. They are putting up some absolutely huge offensive numbers. And, you know, that's not just the last three games since that UConn game. Really, since mid-January, they have been one of the best teams in the country. Since losing to Butler on January 10th, they are 11-1 with their lone loss 
coming to UConn. And make no mistake about it, they got blown out by UConn. But this is a team that feels like it's really rounding into form, and maybe they could be this year's UConn, where UConn went through that tough stretch in January last year, and and much like UConn, Marquette, you know, loses back to back games in early January to Seton Hall and Butler. But now they feel like they're really rounding into form, and they're the team that we expect to see all throughout the season since January twenty second. And that's that. Uh, that's pretty much the last ten, nine or ten games for uh, everybody in the country. Marquette is number four nationally per BartTorvik.com. It goes UConn, Houston, Iowa State, Marquette. They're number eight in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're number nineteen in adjusted defensive efficiency, and they are shooting the lights out from beyond the arc. They're second nationally, shooting forty three percent. This is just a Marquette team that has been lighting it up offensively. So it's a shame that Tyler Kolick is a little banged up and we're not sure what his status is going to be. And on the Creighton side of things, this is a team that's won five of its last six. It's beaten UConn and it's come up with some big wins on the season. They have a big win over Alabama in the non-conference slate. This is another team that is kind of on that four line looking to get to that three line and a win over Marquette would be a very, very big deal. Mark Creighton is also a team that's been very good offensively as of late since January 22nd. They are number 14 overall, but number five in adjusted offensive efficiency. They too are shooting the ball really well from deep, nearly 38% from beyond the arc. These are two very good shooting teams. These are two teams that like to shoot a lot of threes. Since that January 22nd rate, Marquette has a three-point rate of nearly 41%. So 41% of their attempted field goals are three-pointers. Creighton, even higher. 48% of their attempted field goals are three-pointers. In the first meeting, one of these teams shot 31 threes. The other shot 32 threes. Uh, it was a like a 70-71 possession game, but they didn't make a ton of threes, so uh, they only ended up scoring 139 combined points in this one. Marquette went 9 of 31 from the three-point line, so under 30% there. Creighton went 12 of 32 uh, from beyond the arc. And I expect them to put up just as many threes in this game. I expect them to make more of those threes the way they've been shooting the ball. So my bet in this game is going to be over 149 and a half. If you just use their stats since January 22nd, it's the last uh, 10 games for each of these two teams. The projected total per Bart Torvik is 165. He projects an 83-82 Creighton win. You compare that to the uh, the total on FanDuel of 149.5. You compare that to his full season total, if you use the full season numbers, of 150. I just really like the way these teams are scoring, the way these teams are shooting right now. And I'm going to take the over here. Of course, Tyler Kolick and his status could throw a little bit of a wrench into that, but I'm willing to roll the dice on that one. So give me the over in this one. Give me 
over 149 and a half. I don't have a great feel um, as far as a side in this one. The line is Creighton minus five and a half. I'm just going to stay away from that and roll with that over. And then the last very big game of the day is number four, Tennessee, going on the road to play number 14, Alabama. And this is a huge game in determining who will win the SEC. Right now, these two teams are at the very top of the league, tied at 12 and 3. The winner, of course, is in control of this conference. A one will give them a one-game lead with just two to go. And I think Alabama has the advantage, certainly, with this game being in Tuscaloosa. Earlier in the season, Tennessee blew out the Crimson Tide 91 to 71 at home. Alabama looking for a little bit of revenge in this one and uh this is a game where styles make fights right i mean alabama gets up and down the court and tennessee gets up and down the court too but tennessee is a team that is based it's defensive focus defensive base defense first and that's not alabama alabama is going to try to outscore you Tennessee isn't necessarily going to slow the game down, but they are going to lock you down. So it's an interesting contrast in styles. If you haven't seen Dalton Connect play for Tennessee this year, he, he's well worth your time. He's well worth the price of admission uh, because he is a guy that is certainly in contention for SEC player of the year. In fact, it's a, it's a matchup in this game. Uh, of guys who are in contention for SEC player of the year with Mark Sears for Alabama, their point guard and Dalton connect for Tennessee. Uh, These are two guys that are, are certainly in contention there. You won't see them necessarily go head to head with connect being a wing and Sears being a point guard, but they will be on the court together. And I think there's a good chance that the winner of this game, whoever wins this game, whoever we, I think whoever wins this game is going to win the league. And I think whoever wins this game, their best player will end up being player of the year. I think if, if it was up to me, Dalton Connect would be SEC player of the year no matter what, just the way that he has played. I mean, he has put up monster games the most opportune times for Tennessee. You look just earlier this week, 39 points in a win over Auburn, uh, a, a team that's also you know competing for that league title. And it's a uh, he has done what Tennessee has needed at every turn. So this is the third and final game that I'm really looking forward to in this one. And I think personally, Tennessee is the team that has the most potential to go deep in this tournament, in the NCAA tournament, because they are the most complete. Last year, they were not. They had a great defense, but they did not have it offensively. And Connect has added something different. He's added a new dimension to this team. Alabama is kind of the opposite, where it's, I know they can score. I trust they can score. But can they lock it down defensively? And uh, that that remains to be seen. They need to prove it to me a little bit. Now, I am not going to bet this game because I do have a future bet on Alabama plus 130 to win the SEC. That's now down on FanDuel to, believe, minus 105, confirming that. Minus 105. It's minus 115 for Tennessee, 
to win the league minus 105 for Alabama. I took that bet in part because Alabama has this game at home and Tennessee had a tough schedule down the stretch. They had Auburn earlier this week. They won that game. It was a home game, but they have at Alabama. They still have to go to South Carolina and then they finish up the season with Kentucky. But I think for Alabama to win this league, the problem is for Alabama, if they lose this game, Tennessee will have a one-game lead on them with two to play, and Tennessee will have swept the season series. So a tie will go to Tennessee as far as the as the seeding is concerned and as far as that bet is concerned for me. So I, I kind of like where I sit where, you know, you'll look at the odds for the, the game itself. You'll look at the money line there. You'll look at the spread. Alabama, two-and-a-half-point favorite, minus 138. I kind of view this as a as this being the SEC regular season championship game to some extent. So I'm sitting there with Alabama at plus 130, and I'm just going to let it ride. A couple other games that I'm interested in checking out. One game that I'm interested in betting. Uh, so I want to hit on a couple of those. At noon, you have Florida, number 24 Florida, taking on number 18 South Carolina in a top 25 battle. South Carolina, a one and a half point favorite in this one. And you talk about styles make fights here in this one. Florida is a team that is high flying, that gets up and down the court, that scores. They've been playing really well. And South Carolina is the opposite. Defensive first, slow, but they've also been playing really well. And Florida is number 30 nationally in adjusted tempo. South Carolina, 354. And I feel like it's going to come down to who can control the game, who can play the style they want to play. I thought that was what really did Mississippi State in earlier this week against Kentucky is they got into a track meet with Kentucky. They played Kentucky's game. And that's not what the the recipe for success was going to be for Mississippi State. For Mississippi State, which is why I bet the under and Mississippi State, they were going to have to play a slower game. They were going to have to play a defense first game. They were going to have to limit possessions. And and that's not what happened. They played a 91-89 game. They played a high possession game, a 73 possession game. That was not the recipe for Mississippi State. So even when Mississippi State was up, I felt like Kentucky still had a good chance to come back and win that game because it was the style that they wanted to play. I didn't think Mississippi State had it in them to play Kentucky style and still win the game. And I feel like that's what it's going to come down to in this Florida-South Carolina game. If Florida's getting up and down the court, forcing South Carolina into that style of play, I think that bodes very well for them. And on the flip side, if Carol, if South Carolina is slowing things down, making it a 65-55 game, then it bodes very well for them. So I think it's going to come down to whoever can dictate the style. Speaking of slow tempo, number 13, Illinois, goes to Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is the team I'm referring to there when I talk about slow tempo. And they did not have a good month of February. This is a team that looked like it could be in contention for the Big Ten title with Purdue. You know, when you look at uh, when you look at February on February 1st, they were eight and one in Big Ten play. Since then, they have gone two and six and are completely out of any sort of Big Ten title race here. At the top of the league, you have Purdue at 14 and three. 
Illinois at 12 and five, Northwestern 11 and six, and now Wisconsin at 10 and seven. And this is a big one for Wisconsin just to kind of maintain their place when it comes to seeding in the NCAA tournament. You look at that bracket matrix right now, they're still sitting about on that five line. Their average seed is 4.99, but you do not forget about seeding. You just want to talk about the way you're playing going into the tournament. And you don't want to be losing, you know, two of two of, or you don't want to be uh, losing six of eight, seven of nine, eight of 10, whatever it is. Wisconsin needs to find a way to right the ship here. So this will be one that I'm definitely checking out on Saturday afternoon. And then the last game that I'm going to be betting for now, and I'm sure there'll be more to come tomorrow and throughout the day that I'll post on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. I'm going to stick in the Big Ten, 3.15 p.m. Eastern time, and I'm going to bet Minnesota minus 5.5 against Purdue. Minnesota is a team that I really like the way they've been playing. They've dropped a couple in a row on the road to Nebraska and Illinois. I don't think there's any shame in that. I think it's a good buy low spot on these guys against Purdue or against Penn State, rather. They're a five and a half point favorite in this one, and I'm going to take them as a five and a half point favorite. I really like the way their big Dawson Garcia has been playing as of late. I think I talked about him a bit going into that Ohio State game because he's had great success against Ohio State historically. He had another great game against them a couple weeks ago, putting up 22 points, nine boards in that one, including four offensive rebounds. Also uh, blocked a couple shots in that one. So he's a guy that's been playing really well. Most recently put up 29 points in a loss to Illinois. I like them to continue some of their success. It's been a good season for Minnesota. Minnesota is a team that's been absolutely in the basement of the Big Ten, but they have a chance to get to 500 in conference play. They're sitting at 8-9 and nine right now. I still think they have a lot to play for. I think they're the better team than Penn State, so give me Minnesota minus 5.5 in this one. Okay, it's March. It's almost tournament time, but we have some potentially big news as it relates to the college football postseason. On the other side, I will tell you what I think about this proposed 14-team college football playoff. So in the world of college football, we haven't even seen a season with a 12-team playoff yet, but the talk has already started about expanding the playoff and what that format could potentially look like in 2026. So in 2024 and 2025, we will have the 12-team playoff. It will be a five-automatic bid plus seven at-large bid format. But for 2026 and beyond, there is discussion about a 14-team college ball playoff. There's been some reporting across the various outlets this week that uh, a 14-team model is being socialized. And in this 14-team model, the way it would work is that the SEC and Big Ten would be guaranteed three bids. The Big 12 and the ACC would each be guaranteed two bids. And then the top-ranked champion from the remaining conferences would be guaranteed a bid. That would leave three at-large bids. There's also been conversation, of course, with 14 teams. It means the top two teams get buys. And there's been some reporting that the Big Ten and SEC 
are angling for guaranteed buys in this format. So the Big Ten and SEC champion would get guaranteed buys. And what all of this says to me is that we are just hard coding now into the postseason structure of this sport, what has always been true and what is just going to continue to be true, that this is the hardest sport to be upwardly mobile in. It's the hardest sport to change your destiny in and move up the ladder of the sport. And in the past, it had more to do with who you were as a program, what your history looked like, how much investment you had in your program because of that history, where you were located and and what type of athletes you could recruit and attract to your school. And now it's going to not only be that, but also which league you play in. These leagues, the SEC and the Big Ten leading the way, are trying to ensure that simply because of who they are, they are guaranteed spots in this playoff. They are guaranteed every advantage in this playoff. And maybe most importantly for them, the leaders of these leagues, especially the SEC and the Big Ten, they are guaranteeing revenue that will come from these playoffs. Because I would imagine, and I haven't seen reporting that that clearly states this yet, but I would imagine the way that this is going to work is that the leagues are going to split revenue based on how many teams are in from a league in a given year. And if the Big Ten and the SEC are guaranteed a floor of three teams each, well, look, with, with three other... With three, just three at-large bids on the line, most likely the Big Ten and the SEC are going to get at least two of those bids. They are going to be the leagues every year with the most bids and hence the ones with the most money. And none of this is surprising to me because this is always the way that this sport has worked and always the way that we've been headed. This is a sport that has always sought to minimize the little guy, to minimize the underdog, to limit access, to ensure that the big bads had every built-in advantage, whether it be through the postseason structure previously, back in the just bowl days, back in the BCS days, or even in the four-team college ball playoff. And I think this is a good reminder that this 12-team playoff, excited as I have been about it because I felt like it did provide more of a chance for the group of five, for non-traditional powers, it was never about creating an even playing field. It was never about giving everyone equal access to the postseason because if it was, every conference champ, we'd have a 16-team playoff Every conference champion would get a bid, and that would be nine conference champions, and then there'd be seven at-large bids, which still leaves plenty of room for teams who don't win the SEC, the Big Ten, and any other league to get in. But it's never been about equal access. It's never been about that. Otherwise, that would be our structure. It's about finding a way to make more money. It's about finding a way to funnel even more money to the biggest programs in the sport. 
and it doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies. This does not give me the warm and fuzzies in any way that we are not headed towards the Super League that I dread, that I think will ultimately kill college football as we know it. This SEC Big Ten Super League seems like it is more real moment by moment because when you start building a postseason structure that gives you the advantages, well, what's next? Well, the next step is to say, well, we want four bids each or we're going to take our ball and go, go home. And that's the subtext of all of this. That's what's underlying all of this is the SEC and the Big Ten right now, they do have the ability to say, if we don't get what we want, we're going to take our ball and go home. We're going to start our own postseason structure. And they could do it. And plenty of people would watch, but ultimately it would be harmful to the sport of college football. I truly, truly believe that this needs to be a national sport to succeed, that you need to have, I don't know, 85 to 130 some odd teams participating for it to be special, because otherwise you have a triple A version of the NFL. And I've tried to make this argument before because I feel like I have a good perspective on it as a Maryland fan and right Maryland yes right now is a member of the Big Ten but Maryland very easily could still be a member of the ACC and if Maryland was a member of the ACC still and this hypothetical Super League SEC and Big Ten came into existence there's no way that you could convince me or my friends or anybody I went to Maryland with that hey there's going to be this league that you're not involved in and, you know, why don't you just go ahead and latch on to the next closest team geographically? Hey, Penn State's right there. Why don't you root for Penn State? Never going to happen. Never going to happen. The same thing for a school like, I don't know, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, a great example. Georgia Tech fans. Rivals with Georgia. Okay, Georgia Tech, you're no longer in this league. You, don't, you can't participate in the crown jewel of the sport because it's an SEC Big Ten team. But hey, we still want you to watch. We still want you to watch this thing. Why don't you go ahead and latch on to one of those teams? Oh, Georgia's right there. Athens is just up the road. Why don't you become a Georgia fan? It's not going to work. That's not going to happen. So yes, in the short term, the SEC and the Big Ten, they have leverage, right? They can go off on their own. They can create a playoff. They can play each other. They can be the AFC and the NFC. And yeah, a lot of people will watch because they have huge brands. But ultimately, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, that type of thing will kill what makes college football special. It'll kill the fabric of this sport and... This doesn't make me feel any better about it. It makes me feel like, look, it was a nice little side consolation prize that we could include more teams from outside those leagues when doing a 12-team playoff, when expanding the playoff, but that was never the point. The point was never 
to make this an equal playing field. It was never to make this fair, because if it was about making it fair, if it was about providing equal access, you would just do what every other college sport does, which is give an automatic bid to the postseason to every single team that wins a conference championship, and you would actually play it out on the field. No, it's not about that. It's about lining the pockets of the biggest programs in the country. It's about giving the biggest brands, and now the biggest brands by conference, every advantage they can possibly have. This is how college football has always operated. It's never been about equity. It's never been about creating a level playing field. It's never been about giving every team an opportunity. It's been about giving these brands an advantage. It's been about creating TV matchups. It's about creating an entertainment product that ultimately lines the pockets of very, very few people. So it's just a good reminder, as excited as I was about a 12-team playoff, as much hope as I had, even as as recently as a year ago, hey, you know what? When the 12-team playoff comes, it might stop all this madness where we're just headed towards a Super League. We're on a bullet train to a Super League. Because you know what? A coach, like, say, a Dan Lanning at Oregon is going to see, hey, having a team like Oregon in the Pac-12 with a path to the college ball playoff every year is great. I would rather be there and have this path and know I can compete for a national championship than be battling it out to finish fifth or sixth in the SEC or the Big Ten. But no, we didn't ever get a chance to see it because everything fell apart before we could even get there. So I look at this 14-team playoff, and I just see more of the same from those in charge of college football. I've said it once. I'll say it a million times. College football needs one person who truly can look out for the good of the sport. Not the good of the SEC, not the good of the Big Ten, not even the good of the ACC or the Big 12. The good of all 130-whatever teams in Division I FBS college football. For the good of the people who love this sport and want to protect the things that actually make it special. And no, the things that make it special are not players not being compensated as some people want to lead you to believe, but what makes the sport special in reality is all of these unique pockets of the sport, all these different corners, these unique subcultures. The fact that Boise State with its blue turf is playing on the same day on a Saturday and you can flip to that and watch Boise State and their tradition and their culture and what makes them special while also flipping over to another channel and watching Notre Dame with a hundred whatever years of tradition and everything that makes Notre Dame special. It's all these subcultures. It's all these pockets. It's the different systems, the different styles of play. If you want to actually go 
on the field thinking about what makes it special. That is what makes college sports special. It's the fact that there is an NC State fan out there for who beating North Carolina is just as important as beating Alabama is for an Auburn fan, for beating Florida, as beating Florida State is for a Florida fan. That is what actually makes this sport special. And on that note, that's the show for today. On a more positive note, enjoy the hoops this weekend, everybody. It should be a fun weekend of college basketball. I'm excited for it. I hope you are too. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>